Welcome to the Che and Pav podcast experience. Please grab a coffee, set down your marking, and embark on this playful, fun, yet genuine listening experience on education. You're listening to The Staff Room Podcast with Che and Pav. We bring you a new weekly episode where we talk casually about some of the most relevant topics in education today. We are associated with the Voice Ed Radio team, where we host our radio show called The Drive. We are also teamed up with School Rubric, where you can find our podcast and so much more of our work. We host a weekly Twitter ed chat with a great group of educators. Check us out at hashtag education never dies. And now, here we are, Che and Pav, the Staff Room Podcast. Alright, so let's dive right into episode 55 of the Staff Room Podcast. Today we are talking about coding and can we learn to code without computers? Coding is now part of the Ontario curriculum for math along with financial literacy and this is something completely new for a lot of teachers and if you haven't coded with your class in science or in math or any other subject before um, within school parameters, then this is something that's new and interesting and something that you may not know anything about and so that's something that we hope to be able to talk about today and provide a little bit of information about. Before we actually get into that though, I am going to introduce myself. My name is Pav and I make up half of the hosting team of the Staff Room Podcast. Sometimes I go by Wonder Woman and sometimes it's gentle summer rain, although now it's fall, so it might have to be gentle falling of the leaves. Hmm, I like that one. I am sitting next to my co-host and he usually introduces himself. The staff room. Here's a bad mother. Shut your mouth. I'm talking about the staff room podcast. <laughs> so, so when I. Hold on. It's my turn okay, now. Sorry. Go ahead. And I'm Che. The Hurricane Cheney. With Path. Wonder Woman. Wander. And no, this is not the drive. This is the staff room podcast. Because I just identified. Weren't you listening? <laughs> um. So when you when you were practicing and I could hear the the theme music, that infamous theme music, I didn't know that that was the part that you were going to go with. <laughs> no, I, I didn't reveal that. I wanted an authentic reaction. Yeah. And getting tired of your silence. 
<laughs> no, I always laugh, but it's hard because you practice in the in the same room. Yes. So I, it's hard for me to be like, okay, I'm gonna go do a load of laundry while you not, are not playing country music. You can stay. Okay. But yeah, this is our second real episode talking about math, so I'm really not sure if I should be here. (laughs) Um, But I'll stick around for a little bit. Why not? Yeah. But in this whole brave new world of of COVID and remote learning and virtual and face-to-face is part of that shifting dynamic in middle school is that specialized teaching doesn't really exist in the sense that you have a specialized teacher for each subject the way I've been used to for the last 20 years. Now it's very much like a teaching situation so many are used to. You're going to teach everything, and so you got to become a little bit of an expert in everything. And so I've been a little bit, like, really excited to dive into subject matters I really haven't taught much. And although I've taught math once or twice in my illustrious career, I bet you if I taught math, like, more than 10 times, I would have been Teacher of the Year back in 2004. (laughs) Teacher of the Year? Is that a thing? You know what? If I go back before the internet, I could handwrite a Teacher of the Year 1984, and, like, who would you be? 1984? Who would you be to call what? You don't believe my 84? You want me to pull that document out? You can't find this stuff on Google, kitties. No. You're right. Okay, hold on. Can we go back to our Twitter? Let's change our Twitter feed right now. Teacher of the Year 1984, Mr. Cheney. When you were... Six, six, seven. Oh, oh, that's nice. That's funny. Don't. I don't even know why we're having this conversation now. Um, But I'm excited to teach math, like, and not just excited to grab a textbook. Although a textbook's part of it. I've gone through a variety of different textbooks to sort of see: can I take one question and just blow that up into an entire lesson? Yes. But part of this new coding was like, oh, I want to learn how to code. I want to pay. I want to be in on this, but I don't necessarily just want to grab a computer and say kids code and we've done a little bit of research and we've this is the whole topic today is do i need a computer to start coding should i use a computer to start coding uh the simple answer and something that i would say to every teacher if you are starting out coding uh for the very first time or if you teach a much younger grade kindergarten grade one my recommendation would be no don't start with a computer. I don't think that we should be starting uh, coding in the curriculum with a computer because I think that everybody innately just thinks coding and you need to use a computer and then all of a sudden it's, I don't know what to do. But that's not what it needs to be about. I don't think that that's the direction that we should go. And I don't think that's the advice that should be given to you as a math teacher, science teacher, as a teacher in general who wants to embed a little bit of coding or programming into your into your science program. Your hand is up, Mr. Hand up, because I know you're the, the math expert, the science expert. I wouldn't say I'm an expert in anything. I, I believe you're also the actual certified gym expert as well, <laughs> but we won't get into that. Well, entirely. that I'll, I'll actually say I am an expert. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anyone that. Um, I must admit, as you were telling that story, my first instinct was, oh, well, I'm going to need computers. Our school doesn't have computers. Yeah. How am I supposed to go? What are you supposed to, What can you do for me? How am I supposed to go? I can't do this. What's going on? Yeah. Well, I think that that's what most teachers think. Now that coding, coding is part of the curriculum. Well, I need computers. But you don't. So tell me more about your your instinct. I need I need computers. Is that that really was my the first, first thing? my first instinct with coding was oh well I have to have computers. Then said well our school's a little depleted on these resources. Mm-hmm. How do you want me to dive in into a coding? And then I had a few conversations with a few other teachers where that was their first instinct as well. Mm-hmm. And I think this also comes with sort of the overall technology push, mm-hmm. and it also comes with the last sort of six months where there's been a real pivot and 
use of technology that it just becomes it's almost natural to think well if i'm coding and it's computer oriented although it's not computer oriented there's just that instinct to to want to to use a computer and that was my first instinct yeah it was legitimately the first thought oh well i'm stuck i need more computers i need more computers yes and i think um i think that this is a natural reaction for all of education today is anything that's new newly embedded into the curriculum you automatically start to think well well i'm going to need computers for this or I need more sophisticated uh, software to be able to handle this kind of uh, this problem solving. Now, coding is not the only new thing that's been embedded in the in the Ontario curriculum, the math curriculum. Now, financial literacy is also part of that. And people are also thinking to themselves, well, you know, it would be really helpful if I have computers so that we can do spreadsheets and all kinds of things to to help students understand how to handle money. But again, this is very this is very like they're very simple things that are given very big names coding, programming, financial literacy, these are big terms for very simple processes. And and when it comes back to coding, that's essentially what it is. Coding is a very simple process. And, you know, as we were talking about this program, this, uh, this episode, just a little while ago, planning for the episode, a lot of, uh, a lot of conversation really brought out how simple coding actually is and how much of it we are probably already embedding in our curriculum. And now it's sort of just um, having our students wrap their heads around some of these uh, these procedural ideas that we've already embedded in our, our language curriculum, our science curriculum, our math curriculum, and now suddenly we're, we're putting a title on it that's called coding, programming, and that's essentially what it is. P- please, please stop looking at my notes. At pre- you saw procedural and you just took it from me. I don't, and like, it's, I, it's like everything, Che. I, I take everything. <laughs> you know, you are right on so many things, which probably means everything. But when you talked about uh, financial literacy, I was thinking problem-based learning. And don't worry, when my kids master it, uh, I'm going to have a new car. Yeah, well, yes, we work. are all going to have a lot of money. <laughs> They're going to figure it all out for me. And like, Mr. Chain, really, 2004 CRV, come on, give us a few minutes with some math. We'll work something out for we'll you. We'll work something out. We can handle this for you. Um, you're right. Mm-hmm. Coding really comes down to when you when you stop, catch your breath, exhale, talk to a few people that are really comfortable in the subject matter, or you know, go out and find a few videos or read an article. You really start to establish that it is the coding universe starts with the procedural, the explicit instruction, procedural instruction, and that it is bound by no curriculum that you can embed it anywhere and everywhere. So when we started to talk about it, I was thinking math, but then I sort of deferred away from math, that I can come back to my roots, I can come back to my English, I can come back to my physical education, that I could turn this into a procedural writing activity to demonstrate how do you get a kid to serve a volleyball perfectly underhand. And it's you got to be really explicit. You have to be step-by-step instruction so that anyone could take your instruction, go down the other side of the gym and maybe another class, follow it explicitly, step-by-step, and get to the right point. And I think what happens, I don't think, I know, is kids realize that you can't be vague in your instruction. Everything has to be so... Your hand is up. No, you want you to, finish your thought. Uh, you, you realize that we take for granted how we can get from one step to a next step. It's sort of like when you're in the Twitterverse and someone says positivity and someone goes, oh, don't you positivity? No, actually, I just said positivity. But if you want to make that huge leap, good for you. Um, but in here is that... When we give instruction, we tend to just leave out little bits here or there. Mm-hmm. But in the coding world, 
and, and this is sort of the teachable moment that when you give your instruction on how to serve a volleyball or you give an instruction from desk A, how do I get around the corner to the water fountain over in point F? The steps have to be explicit, explicit. And when you go through the procedure and, and you sort of pass it off to someone else, and this is where you even do, I, I added a little bit of dramatization, a little bit of drama to it, you know, dramatize each step. And then when, of course, when you realize a step is not quite specific enough and how to get from your desk to the water fountain, it's an over-dramatization that it's not working. And it was our indicator, our coding, as is procedural writing, isn't specific enough. And so a great place to start that coding experience is in the procedural writing. And it doesn't even have to be in language arts. It can be in any subject matter where you want to get a kid that's going to be in the greatest form of teaching. A student teaching another student. And how are they teaching the student? Through the explicit instruction they're giving in the procedural writing. And you give it on, and then you watch, and you see, and you have some fun. Yes, and, and I have to say that this is uh, this is something that many teachers are already doing. And you know, when you were talking about the exaggerated dramatization of the explicit procedures that you might have your students do, I immediately thought of my driving ex- instructor. I had, a, I had a vision of when I was 16 years old, and I was learning how to drive, and my driving instructor was so so keen on making sure that I was over-exaggerating every single move that I was making. So it's not just a simple check over your shoulder. It's an exaggerated turn your entire body to look behind you. If you are looking left and right at an intersection, make sure you turn your whole body to, to make sure that the instructor or the, the tester who is sitting next to you can tell that you are actually making the moves. And and this is exactly what coding essentially is. It's being very specific and very explicit with your instructions so that the, uh, the machine that you're putting your input through is able to read your instructions clearly and is able to act upon those actions to produce the output. And that's, that's all programming is. It's input and output going through a machine. And this is something that we have seen in math. This is something that we have seen in science, in language arts. In every subject that we teach, there has been input to output machine, and that is coding. So when we were preparing for this episode, you know, we did some simple Google searches to see what, what happens when we put in the, in the, uh, into Google, we put in our search key of coding without technology. What happens? And the first five hits for us were activities that you could do in your class for coding that don't involve any computers. And and what we found with all of them, it was all very procedural. And so procedural writing, you know, giving directions. Um, and I can think back to grade one curriculum where you are having students write directions from your home to your school, or, you know, give instructions on how to do a particular thing. That's procedural writing. That is coding. You know, if I'm thinking about science and we're having students work through the scientific method and are writing up experiments that they have done in the scientific process, that is coding where they have to actually write the procedure of a particular experiment. And this is something that we, we do as soon as we start teaching our students how to, how to do conduct experiments. Uh, we're following instructions and then later we are giving instructions and, and this is something that we're already doing. And many of the activities that we started with this week um, or are planning to, to do in the, in the next week or two weeks involve that kind of specific instruction. And so 
I think that that is, a, a, that is an essential place for all of us to start, not just those of us who are already well-versed with coding, and you might have half of your class that has done some coding in the past, but I think that this is a great place for all of us to begin to explain what is coding, why is it now part of our curriculum, why is it important to us as, as students um, going through math in grade one, two, three, four, wh whatever grade students are in, and where is it going to lead us in the future? Why is this part of our curriculum now? I think the key through our own self-exploration and listening to some podcasts and doing some research wasn't that we wanted to, a workaround having a computer. And I think one of our first entry points is this is my workaround computers. And then you stop, you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. there shouldn't be a workaround for coding. In essence, if, if other schools and other parts of the city and communities have access to computers, other parts of the cities that don't have that rich access to tech shouldn't be trying to bridge the gap or put the onus on those students to find other ways to learn how to code. I think through our preparation, we've become a pretty good advocate that ultimately coding should be starting in these places, actually without a computer for mm -hmm. everyone, yes. even if you have a computer. Uh, when we look at it through that equity lens, students that don't have access to these shouldn't be trying to bridge the gap, catch up, and us as educators putting the onus on them to to get the same experience that other people are have had a different experience through their computers. If truly we can learn to code, and we should be learning to code starting without a computer, then that should be the starting and entry point, even if you have computers. I found my interest for coding, it just, it went up exponentially when I realized I can do it this way. And then I was able to take simple things like in my classroom, we're going to make a directional pathway to the water fountain. And then we added the dramatization and it became, you know, a fun activity, having fun with coding in class, mm -hmm. which was part of our episode two weeks ago when we talked about sort of the math and that fun, it became a fun activity and it wasn't computer based and it was explicit instruction. And so when you think of it from that equity lens, I think we're advocates for this is actually where you should start the coding process. The computer is not even in the discussion. It's not necessary. Put the 30 Chromebooks, the 20 Chromebooks, the six Chromebooks over to the side and just leave them there. And let's start our entryway into coding with this. And I think you said it best, whether you're experienced or not, our entry point should be that explicit procedural writing or technique or activity of devoid of the computer. Well, I think that's what it is. Students need to understand firstly what coding is, what programming is, how it started and why we need it. Why is it part of the curriculum? And then to start with very basic activities. And I think you're absolutely right now. Um, you know, you and I used to teach at the same school and at that school, there is a plethora of these amazing dash and dot robots, which I had the privilege of working with for a few years and set up a fantastic, uh, robotics program with the students in the school, you know, all the way from kindergarten up to grade eight, who were using the robots and learning how to code using those robots. Now, this is a very high tech way of using the, of, of, embedding coding into our into our school programming and this was extracurricular activity but every single student in the school had um had touched those robots and had something to do with those robots at one point or another during the school year and i think it was fantastic exposure we had a coding program that came into the school at lunchtime that uh, students paid for and they attended during lunch um uh, once a week for a certain period of time which is an amazing program to have 
have access to. And I'm glad that I had the exposure to that because it was, it, it really opened my eyes to what students are learning, um, in coding programs and what they're able to do. And I learned a lot from that as well. Now, moving from there to the school where I'm at now, we do have a one-to-one situation with my class and access to computers. Um, maybe not where we want to be in terms of um, programmable uh, devices, so robots or anything like that, that we could learn to program, but we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. I know what we need to do eventually, but I'm not in any rush. You know, To go back to your point, we should all be starting at this base point and really understanding what coding is for. It's really nice to be able to jump into using programs programs like Scratch right away and learn how to code right away using, you know, software that's available to us. And there's lots of great software that's available, but we, I think that if we all start from the the basic point of this is what coding is, and this is what we need it for, it really helps us to get to a point where all, where we're all at the same level of understanding what it's for and why we need it. It reminds me of the math PD with Trevor Brown, who you referenced in a previous episode, that the coding isn't some magic if we just start at the computer. You can really see how it works and you can really visualize when your code on the computer doesn't work to make the robot go the right way when you've seen it in your classroom, when you couldn't get your fellow classmate to get out to the um, drinking fountain or your fellow classmate couldn't serve the volleyball despite your instructions. You can, you can visualize why it's not working. And, and, you know, one of my very favorite activities with our robots, and you were telling me about students giving explicit instructions to get to the maze, and there's lots of great, you know, techless activities that you can do surrounding that. This is exactly what we used to do with our robots. Rather than, you know, you telling your friend you need to get from point A to point B following these instructions, we were programming our robots to do those exact same things. We would set up mazes on the floor. We would set up shapes on the floor that the robot had to trace over. It's the exact same thing. It's exactly the same thing. You know, rather than having your students write out explicit instructions, you're just dragging and dropping the instructions on, on the software. And so do you really, really need to have the software to be fully able to understand that at this point? No, you really don't. You really don't. And so it's, it's nice to be able to transition into using the software. And I always hope that everybody has the opportunity to do so when the software is available and it's free and, you know, all you need is, is a computer to be able to use it. Um, it's, it's, and, and the, the, you know, the, the places where you can go with all of this, right. You can, I've had my students program makey makeys and micro bits and all kinds of really cool gadgets to be able to do fun things. And I, and I loved seeing their creativity come alive. And I hope to be able to do that a little bit more again this year, but do you absolutely need it to establish what coding is and how it's important in our lives? Not necessarily. And so I think we can all take rich uh, takeaways from these activities, even if you don't have access to technology. We want to get to the coding. Yeah. It's not that we don't want to get there. And we're not saying one supplements or one replaces the other. It's just, and I think that was the point we were talking about is one doesn't replace the other. We right. want the entry point to be here. You're right. Procedural, explicit, across curricular. Yeah. And then we, we go specifically. When you keep talking about the makey makey, it always reminds me of the story of where we actually met. Yes. Well, we we had known each who each other was before this point, but we didn't actually ever have a conversation before this day. No. 
No, and it was at a a uh, a workshop that was led by Brian Aspinall, Mr. Codebreaker himself, Mr. Codebreaker, and uh, and it's a funny story. We've even told him this story, um, you know, where this is where Jay and I met. You you were our matchmaker. That's right. <laughs> you started this all. Yes. When we get famous, you know, when we, when they pay us fifteen dollars an episode, you can have half. Yes, that's right. You get all the royalties. That's for That's right. He taught that it was probably I don't know maybe five years ago, and we were. Doing Doing just this coatings, we the scratch coding. board, the makey makeys, and I had nothing about it. It just makes the light glow. Pav, help me. Yes. Tell and me more. Like, Tell me more. Just move, step back for a second. <laughs> Let me handle this. I actually ex- really remember that. I was like, you know what? Just take your hands off yes. of the device. Jim uh, guy is not leading this. <laughs> And that was the first, that was the first thing I ever said to you. Don't touch technology. <laughs> I do remember going back to school and ordering a bunch. Yes, we did. We ordered a bunch of Makey Makeys and we had a lot of fun with it. I actually had um, some of my students that very year create um, a game. Uh, you know, it's a popular game. It's called Dance Dance Revolution. And I had one of my students uh, mimic that entire game using a Mickey Makey and cardboard and foil. And, and then I took that game and his his project, his code, to uh, to a huge conference that same year yeah. and presented on I it. I remember it was that. fantastic. It so, was of course, cool. this is just our teacher talking teacher about uh, yes. coding and sort of our experiences with it. But, of course, Brian Espinal is the... He's the code he's, breaker. He's the, he, he's Mr. Code. Yeah, he's Mr. Code. So obviously find his many, many resources to really dive deep into it. Yes. Um, so I think we've, we've set ourselves up good for our three enlightened minutes. We'll come back because um, I know you have done one of these real, mm. real explicit instruction on some of, we talked about some of the things we've done to warm up, but you've got a great story to come back with. When we come back from this three enlightened minutes to wrap this uh, episode up. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk Because you a were bad... Oh, don't. <laughs> oh, what? This is. It doesn't have an E next to our episode, does it? If it did, I would just want to let loose. Yeah, you would have. <laughs> I don't think we're ready for that. Uh, this is an educational program, and you are a professional but educator. If you wanted you? to get to number one on uh, educational podcasts that curse, yes, we could just start dropping a couple, and then we would skyrocket on the charts. <laughs> is there is there a category called education with curse words? Educational podcast Canada curse words. Curse words, yes. And if we're, and if we're still not top, we'll just add coding in there as well, and then, <laughs> and then we'll be number one. Coding education. Canadian podcast that curse. Boom. Boom. Staff number room one. Podcast. Number one. Go. All right. Let's get into our three enlightened minutes today. Today we have Yuritsa Villalba, and she is a high school teacher, a social studies teacher from Brooklyn, New York, who has a lot to say about culturally responsive teaching. And this is something that Che and I is near and dear to our hearts as well. And we are so glad that Yuritsa is going to be talking about this. Uh, she has a YouTube program that is called Ask Yuritsa. And, uh, you know, combined with Flipgrid and Microsoft, she's going to tell us a little bit more about her culturally responsive teaching in our three enlightened minutes. Hi, my name is Yaritza Vijalba, and these are my three enlightened minutes. I am Yaritza Vijalba from Brooklyn, New York. I am a social studies high school teacher, and I am also president and founder of YV Educational Resources. My why or my big cause is culturally responsive teaching. It is dear to my heart. Um, I teach students who are overage and undercredited, which means 
They should have graduated about four to five years ago from high school, but they haven't. And so I try to find creative ways to embed not only their culture, but their interests, the foods they love, the sports they love to play, and also their emotions into what I'm teaching. Um, This topic is so important to me because it allows me to build relationships with my students, but also I've noticed that with culturally responsive teaching or CRT, it is the only way that we can meet the needs of every individual student in our classrooms. So at this time, I'm actually a host of hashtag Axiorita, which is a YouTube series and blog with Flipgrid and Microsoft. And I discuss culturally responsive teaching and pedagogy practices. Um, In the future, I, I honestly see this being the mark or the basis for every lesson plan, every unit plan, and every curricula. Um, with culturally responsive teaching, you're allowing yourself to get to know the student beyond the standards that they meet according to a standardized test. It is allowing you to look at the student as a whole person um, and acknowledge that we're all different, but our differences are what makes us truly the same and unique. Um, my next steps are literally just finding ways to infuse culturally responsive teaching into every classroom internationally. And so with the hashtag Axiorita show, I want to be able to collaborate with teachers from all over the world, whether that's in Canada, whether that's in Africa, Japan, you know, several parts of Asia, Europe, Australia. I want to be able to help everyone out in understanding how important it is for us to embed culturally responsive pedagogy in our daily practices. Um, so back to you, Shay and Pav. I guess um, I shouldn't listen to music right after the three enlightened minutes, and then I take a five-minute music break, and then I'm ready to go. You know, I was waiting for you to to drop the beat and then, you know, start singing or do something different, but... I sang last week. That's true. I was just bobbing my head. That's right. And that was Yuritza on our three enlightened minutes, a great segment. She, her Ask Yuritza is brand new, really excited to dive in and get those really clean, crisp, quick learning moments. So it's almost like the TikTok of learning, Mm -hmm. which is a conversation I was having with in our Edu Podcaster group. We're just talking about how these new learning quick nuggets really entice people to get some quick knowledge really fast. And we haven't known Yuritza very long, but certainly she's made a big impact right away. Um, really is offering some great resources, some great pedagogies, some really, like, really get you focused. And we know um, culturally responsive work, the anti-racist work has been forefront for us the last little bit, Um, or sort of, we called it our reawakening. So fantastic that she could contribute here. And certainly you have to go and check out what she's offering, because it's just, it's wonderful learning nuggets all the time. Yes, it is. So in our episode, beyond, you know, referencing... um, 1970s music and i could go in on uh, the shaft being you know that's where the wah-wah guitar was originated by isaac hayes yeah i would say that too i mean that's what well, i always think of well yeah that's where it's from well yes i mean it's it's uh, iconic it's signature signature sound like a signature black and white pick on a friday night oh, for the staff i wonder podcast. who does that 
I know. <laughs> I know that one. This episode, we're talking about coding. I think we started the first part really trying to uh, establish a really safe entry point for people, but not even a secondary entry point, that this was really the best entry point mm -hmm. was to not think computers. And as you and I have been prepping, getting yourself ready to teach, one of the great things about this podcast is, is that, you know, it's not just a podcast. We actually do the things we talk about, right. and experiment <laughs> with the things we talk about. And we have failures and we have successes. And I, you were doing um, one of those binary activities and I was playing with sort of math and, and nature today. And we were talking about an activity we're both going to share um, in our now new learning environments, because now we have very similar grades yeah. Although we had similar grades, but now we're teaching the same subjects. We're now in it, yeah, exactly. And we have a little bit of comparison. And so we, we found this uh, activity for making bracelets. Yeah, it's actually funny that we both tried the exact same activity. That's right. But in different ways. When we, when we shared the notes, I was like, what do you mean you have a bracelet activity? <laughs> that is what I did. And so it's a fun entry point and a sort of a cross-curricular entry point, entry point. You want to make bracelets with kids. And so you could use their name. And then you would just take the alphabet and you'd number the alphabet down, 1 through 26. Pav, confirm, it's 26 letters in the alphabet. I only use seven. <laughs> I only use seven, eh? Um, <laughs> You use those seven letters so well. <laughs> and you knew exactly what I just said. I oh, was, yes, I did. That was almost like the Swedish chef from the Muppets. <laughs> I'm gonna... That's my favorite character, by the way. Really? Yes, it is. Oh, I didn't know that. Thanks yeah. for, you know, deflecting me. And now I've got to look my notes. I don't need to look at my notes, kitties. I'm just making it up. <laughs> Mr. Cheney does not use notes. Um, so I'm doing A through Z, obviously. I number them off, 1 through 26. And then with my 1 through 26, I take the digits 1 through 9, because those are the only digits necessary. And then I give them a color code. So I can make one a red bead, a blue bead. I could make number 2 be number 2, red bead, red bead, blue bead. Number 3 would be 3 red bead and a blue bead. And then I would have one other bead to be my spacer, the gap in between each letter of the name. And then I would use that number sequence, the one through nine, corresponding with the name. So if I'd use the name Che, I obviously, the first number would be a three, and I would do a red bead, red bead, red bead, blue bead, add the spacer. And then I would do H, and I would do the same pattern, and I would make this wonderful bracelet that I wouldn't wear. I wouldn't wear. Like, I <laughs> yes, wear, you would, actually. I wear band. Actually, I do wear a lot of bracelets. Um, but that would be a great entry point. And it would be a great way of introducing coding, some bracelet making. So there's some art right in there. It's very cross-curricular. It's an easy way to engage in sort of the coding process and not necessarily fixated on a computer at all. It's structured, organized, the A through Z, the 1 through 26, the 1 through 9 with the color code, have yourself a spacer for each letter, and then make your bracelet, and then connect this back at the end to this was explicit procedural techniques, and this, in a in sense, was a great entry point to code. Yeah, and, and you know, you could take what you did, and, and I would, um, you know, speak to my students about how coding actually started in this exact sort of way. It's developing a particular language that you could use with computers, that computers would be able to clearly understand. And when, when I did this activity with my class, we actually used binary code. So we used the ones and the zeros to represent every letter of the alphabet. And I had my students write their name in code. And this was like a way for us to, you know, 
at the beginning of every school year, I do some sort of name activity. Um, and, and I'm not done with name activities, but this is another way for us to express our names. And we're really getting into our names, um, and identity uh, soon as we, as we talk about, um, in almost every subject area, but this is something I've given my students as, you know, identity is going to be a big part of our school year. And I love to talk about our names to start that conversation. And, and starting with a coding activity almost just felt natural for me. So, you know, I put up, I did the exact same activity, except that I had the binary code for every, for every letter of the alphabet up on the screen. And we talked about, you know, the reasons why we had to develop particular code. And, and, you know, we talked about, um, Braille and we talked about Morse code, and these are two very similar things to binary. You know, you have a particular, you have dashes and dots, or you have a series of dots that are aligned in a particular way so that people can understand language a little bit differently than we understand language as it is in our written form. So computers are very much the same. If you're trying to send a coded message, or if you are trying to help people who are visually impaired, be able to read, um, you need to pr provide a code that they would understand. And so binary code was a type of code that computers would be able to understand. And, um, we wrote our names in binary. And so this was, this was a lot of fun and it was a, a really nice way for us to be able to start our identity conversations, but using coding to be able to do that. And students really had a good understanding of why we have to convert things into ones and zeros, uh, for computers to be able to read them. And, uh, you know, we had that whole conversation. It was a little bit more complicated than I thought it was going to be for students. Um, but you know, I, I was a little bit spoiled because I had students the previous year who were very, very good at coding and were far more advanced than I was and were able to do some really brilliant things, uh, with code. And so, you know, students who are coding using HTML and I'm just like, what, what is that? And they have to explain those things to me and, you know, I'm learning from them and, and it's always a lot of fun. And so I was, it was really nice for me to be able to give, some of our students back some of this information and help them, um, from, from that starting point, from that place of, you know, we're going to get there, uh, eventually, but right now this is all we really need to be focused on. And it was a very successful activity. We didn't actually make bracelets, but I did say to my entire class, when these bracelets are done, we're going to give them to Che. And they're like, who's Che? They're like, who's this Che guy? Yeah, who's Che? They don't know Che yet. Just wait till I visit. I know. You this is ready. This has been a good episode. I, I thought it was great. Teachers talking, teaching. Some stuff we have some expertise in. Mm -hmm. Some stuff we have an experience in. Some stuff we're literally reflecting on things we've done this week and some preparation we've done this week. And as sort of new to math, as I not completely new, but I've in my first three weeks of teaching, minus the one week I was in isolation. Um, <laughs> It's, I've done land-based math equations. I've been outside connecting to, to the land, the story of the land, the indigenous connection and appreciation of the land. Tying it back into math has been really fantastic. Diving into coding, where when the year was starting, I, I was like, oh, that was it. Like, mm -hmm. that's why I only was using three letters in the alphabet. Like, that was the only words I could come up with. And now I was excited and I was trying things and we were doing simple things and then i was able to bring it into curriculum that i'm very comfortable in language well, you wouldn't think language but language and the sports so the real swag bag i think of this episode is really one i, I would love to come back to that equity lens for a second yes 
I think where I'm at right now, I would love to advocate is that we're not starting with computers because we're not using non-computer techniques to teach coding for certain students to have to bridge gaps and equity gaps in technology. No, 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 no. It's not a workaround. Actually, I feel really comfortable and confident, although I'm not a math expert, that this is actually a great place for teachers and students to dive in right away for their entry because they get to understand the why behind why everything works. It's not just a magic computer. That's right. It's not coding doesn't happen because of computers. Coding helps us to be able to communicate with computers. And so we don't actually need the computer to be able to write that language and to be able to write those instructions. If I think back to when I was in grade 10, taking computer science for the very first time, and, and I, and I hated it back then, but I learned so much about how important it is to write very explicit instructions because you make one small mistake and it doesn't work. And it frustrates you for the next week until you have that class again, and you get to try to fix it. And it was the most annoying, annoying little thing, but that's what it was about. You're going to tell Joe. Oh, Che, you remember when you did computers in high school? No, no, you must have. No, Che, you remember? No, I do not remember computers in high school. Why must you push these buttons? (laughs) Well, you must have. I was really good at typing, eh? (laughs) I did typing uh, classes. Typewriter, eh? No, it was on the Commodore, the Commodore 64, Commodore, yes. So that's when I was in grade six, seven, and eight, we had computers class. Was Sounds like rockets type. and lasers, Jimmy. <laughs> okay, rockets and lasers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pat, you know, this is episode 55. Yes, it is. And only the second we've done on math, and I feel good about it. Yep, as and you should. we also talked about, you know, where we really met. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little known, little tidbit. You, you thought Brian Espinall was famous for his books? No, 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 no. no. no, no He's no. famous for this right here on the Staff Room <laughs> Podcast. Are we ready to wrap this up? I think so. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for episode 55, Can We Learn to Code Without Computers? Remember to inspire, don't require. Always be a humble servant. And education never dies. Catch you next time on the Staff Room Podcast. You've been listening to the Staff Room Podcast with Che and Pav. Written, performed, and produced by Che Chaney and Pav Wander in association with School Rubric, an online magazine and website designed for international and global educators. You can stay connected with Che and Pav by visiting their Twitter and Instagram pages. And also check out their articles related to each episode on the School Rubric webpage. All links are provided in the episode write-up. The podcast is recorded weekly at their in-class studio and performed in front of a live studio audience. Be sure to join Che and Pav next week because there's always something to talk about in the staff room.